All right. Welcome. This room is dedicated to be spent with our dearest Pope, John Paul II, which was the Pope of my, from when I was born to as long as I could remember until he died. I re- I was I remember where I don't remember where I was, but I remember seeing the news about Reagan being shot and then Pope John Paul being shot. I'm like, whoa, three times, dude, both of them. So anyway, he's one of my favorite popes. And uh, yeah, welcome to, we're going to first read Theology of the Body, which we all know is element number two. The long title of this is called The Redemption of the Body and The Redemption of the Body and Sacramentally Sorry Sacramentality of Marriage. Theology of the Body by Pope John Paul from the weekly audiences of His Holiness. This is what he said to his audience when he addressed them every week. September 5th 1979, which is like right after I was born, and through November 28, 1784. This work contains a series of 129 addresses delivered by Pope John Paul during his Wednesday addresses for a period of several years from September 79 to November 84. Each of the addresses are related to a general theme now referred to as the theology of the body and is included in this collection with its original title. The date of the each address is referred in a footnote to the title. Okay, great. We're just going to skip the intro and go right into it. Thanks for listening. His, in honor and memory of Carolyn Wajdila and His Holiness Pope John Paul II. Totus tuus. We're going to skip the table of contents too. We're just going to go right into it. Chapter 1. The unity and indissolvability of marriage. The unity and indissolubility of marriage. For some time now, preparations have been going on for the next ordinary assembly of the Synod of Bishops, SB, which will take place in Rome in autumn of next year. The theme of the Synod, the role of the Christian family, concentrates our attention on this community of human and Christian life which has been fundamental from the beginning. The Lord Jesus used precisely this expression, quote, from the beginning, three words, unquote, in the talk about marriage, reported in the Gospel of Matthew and Mark. We wish to raise the question what this word beginning means. We wish, also wish to clarify why Christ referred to the beginning on that occasion, and, therefore, we propose a more precise analysis of the relative text of Holy Spirit. Oops, Holy Scripture, sorry. 
During the talk with the Pharisees, who asked him the question about the indissolubility of marriage, <clears throat> Pharisees here, Jesus Christ referred twice to the beginning, twice. The talk took place in the following way. Reading from Matthew 19.3 and Mark 10.2. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read what he who made them from the beginning made them male and female? For this reason... A man shall leave his mother and father and be joined to his wife. Leave. Join. And the two shall become one flesh. Unquote. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man Put asunder. Remember that one? They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of, door, of divorce, eh? And to put her away, eh? They said to him, He said to them, Well, for your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. Christ did not accept the discussion at the level at which the interlocutors tried to introduce it. In a certain sense, he did not approve of the, of the dimension that they tried to give the problem. He avoided getting caught up in juridico casuistical controversies. On the contrary, he referred twice to the beginning, acting in this way. He made a clear reference to the relative words in Genesis, which his interlocutors, too, knew by heart. From these words of the ancient revelation, Christ drew the conclusion and the talk ended. Eh, nothing to say. Therefore, the beginning means that which Genesis speaks about Christ quoted Genesis 1.27 in summary form. In the beginning, the Creator made them male and female. The original passage reads textually as follows. God created man in his own image. 
in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Unquote. Subsequently, the master referred to Genesis 2.24. Therefore, a man leaves his father and his mother and cleaves to his wife, and they become one flesh. Unquote. Quoting these words almost in full, Christ gave them an even more explicit normative meaning, since it could be supported that in Genesis they expressed the fact of statements like leaves and cleaves. They become one flesh. This normative meaning is plausible, since Christ did not confine himself only to, to the quotation itself, but added, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. That let not man put asunder is decisive. In the light of these words of Christ, Genesis 2.24 sets forth the principle of the unity and the indissolubility of marriage as the very content of the word of God, expressed in the most ancient revelation. It could be maintained at this point that the problem is exhausted, that Jesus Christ's words confirm the eternal law formulated and set up by God from the beginning as the creation of man. It might also seem that the master, conform, confirming his original law of the creator, did nothing but establish exclusively his own normative meaning, referring to the authority itself of the first legislator, or the capital L. However, that significant expression from the beginning repeated twice clearly induced his interlocutors to reflect on the way in which man was formed in the mystery of creation, precisely as, quote, male and female, unquote, in order to understand correctly the normative sense of the words of Genesis. This is no less valid for the people of today than for those of that time. Therefore, in the present study, considering all this, we must put ourselves precisely in the position of Christ's interlocutors today. During the following Wednesday reflections at the general audience, we will try, as Christ's interlocutors today, to dwell at greater length on St. Matthew's words in 18.3, to respond to the indication asserted in them by Christ. We will try to penetrate toward that beginning to which he referred in such a significant way. Thus, we will follow from a distance the great work which participates in the forthcoming synod of bishops are undertaking on the subject just now, together with the numerous groups of pastors and laymen, laymen are taking part in it, feeling especially responsible with regard to the role which Christ assigned to marriage and the Christian family. The role that he has always given and still gives in our age in the, mo in the moder modern world. Modem world. The cycle of reflections are beginning today. 
with the intention of continuing it during the following Wednesday meeting, also has the purpose, among other things, of accompanying from afar the work of preparation for the Synod. However, it will not touch its subject directly, but will turn our attention to the deep roots from which this subject springs. Thank you for listening. This is the very first chapter of The Theology of the Body by St. John Paul, St. John Paul and Pope II. End of chapter one. The unity and indissolubility of marriage. That's what Jesus said. He said, don't swear. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Do what you say and say what you're going to do. Lying is when you do something and you say something different. Or you say something and you do something different. That's lying. Okay? Okay. Analysis of the Biblical Account of Creation Entry, September 12, 1979 Last Wednesday, we began this series of reflections on the reply Christ gave to his questioners on the subject of the unity and dissolubility of marriage. As we recall, mm-hmm, the Pharisees mm-hmm, who questioned him appealed to the Mosaic law. However, mm-hmm, Christ mm-hmm, went back to the beginning, quote-unquote, quoting the words of Genesis. Oh, yeah. The beginning, in this case, concerns what one of the first pages of Genesis treats. If we wish to analyze this reality, mm -hmm, mm, we must undoubtedly direct our attention first to all the text. All, whole, with a W. The words which Christ spoke in his talk with Pharisees found in Matthew 19 and Mark 10 constitute a passage in its turn, is set in a well-defined context, without reference to which we can neither be understood nor correctly interpreted. Well, we don't want to be that, do we? This content is provided by the words, quote, Have you not read that the Creator from the beginning made them male and female? Matthew 19.4. It referred to the so-called first account of the creation of man inserted in the seven-day cycle. Is that a week? Are you feeling a week? Are you feeling weak after seven days of work? Yeah. Okay, well then, six days of work, and take a break. We'll call out a cycle, and then we'll get back up and do it again. Yeah. Morning.
Okay. Seven-day cycle of the creation of the world, Genesis 1, 1. However, the context nearest to the other words of Christ, taken from Genesis 2, right? 1, 2, is the so-called second account of the creation of man. Uh-huh. But indirectly, it is the entire third chapter, three, hello, third base of Genesis. The second account of the creation of man forms a conceptual and stylistic unity with a description of original innocence. No, when it first come out, they only cry two ways. Or... Mm -hmm. For Adam and so crazy, right? I know. Well, listen, to baby cries when they first come out. I've heard it four times. Yeah, it's different. The second account of the creation of man forms a conceptual and stylistic unity with a description of the original innocence, man's happiness, and also his first fall. Have you fallen yet, baby? So many times. Granted the specific content of crass words taken from Genesis 2.24, one could also include in the context at least the first phrase of the fourth chapter four of Genesis, which treats of the conception and birth of man from earthly parents. Yep. They came from one land or another. But then we moved. Hello. Location, location, location. This is what we intend to do in the present analysis. Am I from that place? No, seriously, y'all keep changing the names. So I don't know where I'm from. From the point of view of biblical criticism, it is necessary to mention immediately that the first account of man's creation is, I mean, I travel, chronologically later than the second, which chronologically, right, through time. <sighs> what is time? Whose origin is much more remote. Can I get a remote job? No, seriously. Please, Lord, please. This more ancient text is defined as Yahwist. Yahwish. Yahwist. Wah. Ah. A-H. W-I-S-T. Like a cross. Uh-huh. You wish someone's got to pay. Because the term Yahweh, Y-A-H-W-E-H, is used to name God. It is difficult not to be struck by the fact that the image of God presented there is quite considerable. Anthropomorphic traits. Yeah, see that ten times fast. Anthropomorphic yeah, okay, need practice. Among others, we read that the Lord... Hey, stop it! You got my... Oh, crap. Now it's nasty. Among others, we read that quote in Genesis 2-7. The Lord God formed a man of dust from the ground <laughs> and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. 
In comparison with this description, the first account, that is the one held to be chronologically later, is much more mature both as regards the image of God and also regards the formulation of the essential truths about man. Uh -huh. This account derives from the priestly and Elohist ah, tradition from Elohim. Uh -huh. The term used in that account for God. Anyways, in this narration, man's creation is male and female. Uh-huh, right? Man equals male and female. A plus B equals man. Okay, great. To which Jesus referred in his reply, according to Matthew 19, is inserted into the seven-day cycle. Insert it. Get it. Insert here. Oh, you put floss all over this thing. How am I going to... I hear it. It's out. is inserted into the seven-day cycle of the creation of the world. Hello. What do you do on an off day? <sighs> the cosmological character could essentially be attributed to it. Mm -hmm. Stargazing. Moonlight walks along the beach. Man is created on Earth together with the visible world. I mean, it's like an ever-changing, beautiful landscape picture in the mornings, but at night... Yeah, it, it, it changes. It does. It does. It's still moving. Still moving. <laughs> okay. Coco! Hey. What you doing there? Driving that tractor. I'm just, uh, driving. Let me see your driver's license. And registration. Well, no. Oh, I don't know who you are. Oh, I'm the Popo. Well, Popo should have a Popo license, shouldn't they? Popo. <laughs> <laughs> Where'd you get your authority from? Can I see your license first? And then he shows me his license, and there was a tissue paper um, on front where it says, and I said, what is that? What state is that? Banana? Because the tissue paper was hiding Ella. <laughs> well, I'm like, what state am I in? I'm driving across country here. <laughs> the cosmological character could essentially be attributed to it. Man is created on Earth together with the visible world. But at the same... Oh, right, the dust. You right, Nina... Did you guys read Invisible Man? Do you know how hard it was in the movie to see him? Like, they had to, like, do this little thing to make you see him, but not, but at the same time, like, you know, you really couldn't see him. Like, right, how do you make a movie about Invisible Man? <laughs> you gotta put a hat on him, put a scarf on him, put some dirt on him, you know. But at the same time, the creation orders him to subdue and have dominion over the earth. Earth, subdue yourself. Oh, I had to come and subdue you. And take dominion over you, the earth. Therefore, Genesis 128. He is placed over the earth. I gotta see. Can't be too short. Can't see much. 
they keep saying, Amy, turn on the light. I'm like, dude, it's so out of my visible, like peripheral vision, whatever. Even though man is strictly bound to the visible world, the right, because I'm sure, and I'm a cashier, and I can't see the little cashier lights indicating that I'm, you know, it, when the lane is open or not. And they're all screaming at me, turn it off, turn it on, turn it off. I'm like, I don't notice it because I'm short, people. I'm so sorry. Therefore, I can't change that right now. It's been like that for a long ass time. I'm only five two. Five two. Well, it all depends on where near the equator you come from. The shorter you are, it's just north people are taller. What can I say? My whole family is tall. I'm the only short little peon, and so is my husband. So we match. Never mind. There we go. Therefore, he is placed over the world. Even though man is strictly bound to the visible world, we are. Oh, crap. That's great. The biblical narrative does not speak of his likeness to the rest of the creatures. We stand out, apparently. But only to God. Uh-huh. Yeah. Where it counts. Where it counts. Quote, God created man in his own image. Right? You can't, can't recognize otherwise. Get it? No. In the image of God, he created him. Remember the ugly ducking? Are you my mama? Are you my daddy? You look like me, <laughs> says the fox. Uh, Genesis 1, 27. In the seven-day cycle of creation, a precise graduated procedure is evident. Evidence! Indeed. However, man is not created according to a natural succession. No. The creator seems to halt. Balls? Suspend. Oh. Oh. I mean, we do have dry ice. What's that called again? You know, where they freeze you? <laughs> freeze! Yeah, we've been watching what? Um, that movie, The Incredibles. I'm just drinking some water. Yes, I know. Freeze. <laughs> it's process. Okay. Where was I? The creator seems to halt before calling him into existence. As if he were pondering. Oh, that's an emoji. Within himself to make a decision, right? You gotta think about it. That's what daddy's always saying. Think about it. It took me years to have enough to eat patience to wait while he thinks about it because it could take forever. Let us make man in our image, he says in Genesis 1.26. After our likeness, he said. The level of that first account of man's creation, even though chronologically later, is especially of a theological character. Eh? Theological character. It's an indication of that. Is an indication of that. Especially, is especially, the indication of that is especially, the definition of man on the basis of his relationship 
with God. An image of God, he created him. Unquote. At the same time, it affirms the absolute impossibility of reducing man to the world. Uh huh. Already, uh huh. In the light of the first phrases of the Bible, man cannot be either understood. Uh-huh. Or explain completely, right? <laughs> Try talking to a baby. In terms of categories taken from the world, quote-unquote world, that is, from the visible complex of the bodies, of bodies, okay? So when the baby first wakes up, he sees stuff for the first time. He didn't see it in the womb. Didn't see it in the womb. Not with, and he goes, ah, right? I would too. <laughs> Smack me two times, still be in the bath. Asian babies have black spots on their butts. Did you know that? Those other babies have black spots on their butts. Okay, wait. And they're never the same pattern. Great. Mm -hmm. Birthmarks, they're called. You got them at birth, wishing you were sunflowers. Okay, wait. Uh, notwithstanding this, man also is corporal. Are we corporations for reals? Are we corporeal whole? Corporal? Yes, sir. Genesis 1, 27 observes this, that this <coughs> essential truth about man referred both to male and the female. Uh -huh. God, quote, God created man in his image, male and female, he created them, unquote. It must be recognized that the first account is concise and free from any trace whatsoever of subjectivism. Oh, I love this word. Objective versus subjective. All right, my class, 101. And then we never got to 102 because they all disbanded and scattered. Baltimore. Be more. It contains only the objective facts and defines the objective reality. Both when it speaks of man's creation, male and female, in the image of God, and when it adds a little later the words of the first blessing, be fruitful, Genesis 1, 27, 8, 28, and multiply and fill the earth. Subdue it and have dominion over it. Hello, people. The first account of man's creation, which, as we observed, is of a theological nature, conceals within itself a power, metaphysical content. Let it not be forgotten that this text of Genesis has become the source of the most profound inspirations for thinkers who might sought to understand being and existence. Perhaps only the third chapter of Exodus us, can bear comparison with this text. Notwithstanding certain detailed and plastic expressions of the passage of man, of the passage, man is defined there, first of all, in the dimensions of being and of existence 
aka, quote, essay, unquote, E-S-S-E, essay, sub essay. He is defined in a way that is more metaphysical than physical people. All right. Martial arts is 90% what? 10% what? Mm-hmm. To this mystery of his creation, quote, in the image of God he created him, unquote, corresponds a perspective, right? Watch the movie, Vantage Point. Perspective of procreation. One word. What does that mean? Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth, can you? Of that becoming in the world and in time. Take stand, people. Take stand. It's just an order of circumstances and sequences of events and how you win. I mean, you got to know when to meet up, people. Of that, right? I mean, I'll meet you in the forest. Where and when? Right? If you're a tour guide, you'd say how and why. No, well, you need a why either way. Don't you? Do you? Do you? Do you? I'll just meet anyone, anywhere, anytime. I don't give a... Well, that's not very inviting, is it? <laughs> you mean it don't matter who shows up? No! Okay. Huh. Is that inviting to y'all? Is it? Is it? I will marry anybody yeah. better than being alone. Yeah. Oh, that's the thing I love to hear at the altar. Yeah. Ain't a chick will do. I want a chick with long legs. That's what an ostrich is. Careful what you wish for. <laughs> that was a good joke. I will, I'll tell you that long version later. Anyway, be fruitful and multiply. Get it, baby? Get it? Of that becoming in the world and in time. Of that fury, F-I-E-R-I, in italics, which is necessarily bound up with the metaphysical situation of creation. Of contingent being. Contingent. What's a contingental? Is it a contingental marriage? I will love you so as long as you blah. And if you can't, well, blah, blah. Dear John. Oh, man, that was a terrible. I saw it, too. The whole, just a few shows. Do you remember anything? Nope. Just the beginning with the envelope on the fireplace. Dear John. Right? Isn't that everybody's dreaded moment? Precisely in this metaphysical context of the description of Genesis 1, it is necessary to understand the entity of the good. The entity. Ooh, it's an entity. Captain, these sensors indicate entity. Namely, you know, EIN number, entity identification number, the aspect of value. Hello, intrinsic anyone? Indeed. This aspect appears in the cycle of nearly all the days of creation and reaches its culmination after the creation of man. Culminating. God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. I said it so many darn times already. Anyways, can you get it? Get it. It's good. It's all good. It's very good. What you do with it? Hmm? Does that toy look the same after you've played with it? Eh? Eh? Why are you keeping your toys? <laughs> For this reason, it can be said with certainty that the first chapter of... Whoop, that fell. Genesis 
has established an unassailable. You gotta say, what? I need to learn sailor talk. Unsailable point of reference and a solid basis for a metaphysical physic, for a metaphysic, and also for an anthropology, anthropology, and an ethic. Ethics! According to which ends et bonum convertuntord. Being and the good are convertible. I love convertibles. I remember driving a convertible BMW on the Skyline Drive in Maryland. <gasps> Most beautiful. Undoubtedly, all this also has a significance for theology. That it? And especially for the theology of the body. Hello? I know, man. Is this like the prose? Long? Or are we going to get to it? Yes, last paragraph. End of section. At this point, let us interrupt our considerations. Oh, sorry. I've been doing that. In a week's time, we shall deal with the second account of creation. Mm. According to biblical scholars, uh huh, it is chronologically more ancient. Oh, I pray for her. All right, if you want to hear the story, she keeps calling me little one, little one. And I'm like, dude, we're in a corporate setting, and you keep saying little one, making, I'm, I'm assistant to the CEO. I feel like you kind of belittling me here. And I didn't know how to say it to her. But I, I just didn't like her calling me little one in a non-affectionate way. I, maybe she was affectionate to her, but it didn't feel affectionate coming, you know, when I received it. <laughs> right? You know? So then I, I didn't handle it very well, but <laughs> I, it's the, uh, it's the, uh, if you can do it to me, I'll, I'll do it back to you. See if you like a concept. So I started calling her Ancient One. <laughs> oh, she did not like that. Oh, she got so mad at me. <laughs> oh, yes, yeah, she berated me. I forgot about what, but yep, nope, she did not. See, that's how you know she was not coming from an affectionate intention. <laughs> it shows itself. What do you think about that story? sentence. I gotta take a break. According to the biological but what at interrupt in a week's time we shall deal with second account of creation. According to biblical scholars it is chronologically more ancient the expression quote theology of the body unquote just now used 
deserves a more exact explanation. But we shall leave that for another occasion. First, we must seek to examine more closely that passage of Genesis which Christ had recourse to. Right? We got a foundation here. Got to understand before you can go argue. All right. End of section. Entitled, Analysis of the Biblical Account of Creation. We'll be back. Say bye. Bye. See you later. See you later. Uh, Anything else you want to say? All right. I don't know what happened to the episode where I read this, but anyways, this is number seven of Pontifical Council for the Pastoral Care of Migrants and Itinerant People, the Shrine Memory, Presence, and Prophecy of the Living God. We are number seven. This is at Vatican.va. Okay, never mind. I want to read Thanksgiving. Okay, whatever. Nothing, I was just about to read something. Yes, what is it? You want your monster tracks? Here. Here, play your cards. I have it. I know, because you made them wet. Yeah. Okay, it's just a little wet. It'll make cool track prints on the floor. Go play. Monster truck. Go. Uh, can I have my phone? And your phone. Okay. Thank you. Can I get some me time, anybody? 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 So we went to church today for the first time in a long time, like a physical church. And it was cool. So cool. I pray for everybody I saw today. Thank you, Lord, for Mark, for Robin, for Kathy, and for all the Filipino, Filipino people I saw today. They're awesome. I'm going to learn Tagalog. Finally, come on, let's go. About time I learned Filipino. Got too many Filipino in my family. <laughs> in my circle. Mm. So, my goodness, right? So long.
all the way since Julian. Hello. Number seven, Thanksgiving. We are in the month of November. So, of course, I want to read this right now. I want to be in a Thanksgiving mood. In the second place, a shrine recalls God's initiative and makes us understand that that initiative, being the fruit of a pure gift, must be received in the spirit of thanksgiving. One enters a shrine above all to give thanks, conscious that God loved us even before we were capable of loving him. I pray for the guy who's sitting next to me at church. I don't know what was going on with him, but Lord, I pray for him. To express our praise of the Lord for his marvelous works. I saw the book he was reading, Life Application of the Bible. It was thick. I pray for him. Psalms 136. To ask his forgiveness for the sins we have committed and to implore the gift of fidelity in our life as believers. And I pray for all the needy people I pass along the way, especially the dim sum place. And the dim sum and the help needed as we make our earthly pilgrimage. And I pray for the guy I gave a water to today. And I pray for all those beautiful children I saw I heard say the Hail Mary today perfectly in unison. Ah, oh, those beautiful children. And the teacher that has to teach all 30 of them. In this sense, shrines represent an extraordinary school of prayer where the preserving and trusting attitude of the humble testifies in a special way to their faith in the Lord's promise. And everybody asked Shook, Hands and said, peace be with you today, especially the couple behind me at, at Mass. Lovely couple. And the nice lady from Alaska. And I pray for those people from Jerusalem Catholic, saying that there's only 10, there was 11% Catholic in Jerusalem, now there's just one. Because there's no tourists going to buy the Catholic gifts that they make and sell. Ask and it shall be given to you. Matthew 7. Seven. To recognize the shrine as a memory of God's initiative is thus to learn the art of thanksgiving. Recognize the shrine as a memory. To foster in our hearts a spirit of reconciliation. Oh, and I thank you for Father Tom and his beautiful white hair. It was a full, white as wool, people. Fluffy, too. Contemplation and peace. A shrine reminds us that joy in life is, first of all, the effect of the presence of the Holy Spirit, who also awakens in us the praise of God. The more we are able to praise the Lord and make our life a continuous act, of thanksgiving to the Father, Romans 12, 1, in union with the one and perfect thanksgiving of Christ the priest. And I think for the altar boy today, he rang those bells. It was beautiful. And the guy who was holding up the Bible, 
I, although, Father, I liked a little illumination on the cover of the Bible. It's a bit interesting. In particular, through the celebration of the Eucharist and more, will we welcome God's gift within us and allow it to bear fruit. I'm sorry if I disturbed anybody at church today. Sorry. From this, from this standpoint, the Virgin Mary is a most excellent model. In the spirit of thanksgiving, she let herself be overshadowed by the Spirit. Luke 1 and 35. So that in her, the word of God might be conceived and given to mankind. In gazing upon her, we understand that a shrine is a place where the gift from on high is welcomed the dwelling in which, even as we give thanks, we allow ourselves to be loved by the Lord, following his example and with his help. And I really thank you for all the beautiful tapestry and the artwork that's around the whole church today. It was beautiful. Shrines thus remind us that where there is no gratitude, the gift is lost. And that beautiful book that everybody could write the names of their loved ones for each day. Ah, love it. And the waterfall for the holy water. Love it. Oh, and the holy water jar in the Adoration Chapel. Love it. Oh, and the kneelers. Love it. And the secret key box where you put the tabernacle. Love it. It was a checker box. Checker pattern. Shrines that remind us that where there is no gratitude, the gift is lost. Where man does not give thanks to God, who each day, even in the hour of trial, loves him ever anew, the gift remains ineffective. Shrines testify that the vocation of life is not dissipation. frivolity, or escape, but praise, peace, and joy, a profound understanding of the meaning of a shrine can help us to experience the contemplative dimensions of life, not only inside the shrine itself, but everywhere. And since the Sunday Eucharistic celebration is the culmination and source of the whole Christian life, lived as a response of gratitude and self-oblation to the gift from on high, a shrine invites us in a most particular way to rediscover Sunday. A, quote, the day of the Lord, unquote, and a, quote, Lord of the days, unquote. The, quote, primordial feast, unquote. Quote, which is not, which is meant not only to mark the passage of time, but to reveal its profound mean, meaning, quote, unquote. Namely, the glory of God 
who is all in all. Oh, that got me through a lot. All in all, people. All in all. Wanna do one more? Yeah, all right, why not? You guys, I've been looking into beautiful artwork lately. And I just keep thinking of um the painting I saw for San Charlo Charles or Carlo Barromeo. May I borrow an image for you? There, let me let me borrow your head for a second. <laughs> Picture it, nighttime strolling through the woods. I think there was a church chapel behind him in the far distance. But he's looking up at the moon, so, so bright, full moon aglow. He can see everything at night. And through the moon, he sees the light shining upon him like a dove. And his hands are gesturing, come here. <laughs> and you could see that ray of light through the moon, from the moon, through the bird, into his hands down here. Ah, and on earth as it is in heaven. So beautiful. And then you overlay that with a picture of divine mercy where, you know, Jesus is in the dark pointing to his heart and the light's coming from his heart. He's like the dove. He's like, you know, he's like, the, I'm the door. Right. Come in. Who's there? Me. How many of you are there? Just me. Amy. <laughs> okay, bye. Number eight. Sharing and commitment. In the third place, as a memory of our origin, the shrine shows that this sense of awe in the beginning and thanksgiving should never be separated from sharing with others and a commitment to others. The shrine calls to mind the gift of a God who has loved us so much that he pitched his tent among us to bring us salvation, to be our companion in life, one with us in our suffering and our joy. Enjoy! The founding events of the various shrines often bear witness to this divine solidarity. If God so loved us, so too must we love each other. We must, so too must we love others. John 4, 12, well, and 12. 
4 and 12. Oh, well, good numbers. Well, 4 times 2 is 8, whatever. And so that, why? We may be the temple of God by our lies. Oh, I want to play that song. My life, my life's, my, my life is a love song, something like that. Heart song, I don't know. Right? I like those words. A shrine is an impetus to solidarity. Impetus. Impelling us uh, to be a, quote, living stones. Unquote. Oh, that quote about even the stones will cry out, people. Come on, with capital Z. That support one another in the edifice building on the cornerstone, which is, I'll give you one guess, Christ. <laughs> you didn't even, couldn't even wait one second, could you? 1 Peter 2, 4 to 5. It would be fruitless to experience the, quote, time of the shrine, unquote, if this does if this does not then draw us to the, quote, time of the road, unquote, huh? We're going to go for a drive. Let, yeah, let's go for a drive. Let's park on the driveway and drive on the parkway. <laughs> okay. The, quote, time of the mission, <clears throat> I'm not going to say it, unquote, and the, quote, time of service, unquote, Wherever God manifests himself as love for the weakest, weakest, not wicked, weakest, and poorest creatures. The words of Jeremiah, come on, come here, Jeremiah, let me hear from you, echoed in the teaching of Jesus. Oh, echo reminds us. That a temple without faith and without a commitment to justice oh, is reduced to, you guessed it, a den of thieves. Oh, there's 40 nights of that, ain't there? Alibaba, Jeremiah 7, 11, 7, 11, seriously, Jeremiah, seriously, or Matthew 21, 13. The shrines mentioned by Amos, oh, that's like my name, are meaningless oh, unless uh -huh, the Lord uh -huh, is truly sought in them. Yeah, who are you looking for? <laughs> Whose door are you knocking on? <laughs> okay. Liturgy without a life rooted in justice. In justice space. Becomes a farce. Yeah, okay, all right. Your life is not rooted in what? Justice becomes a farce. <laughs> Isaiah 1, 10 through 20. Amos 5, 21 to 25. Jose, you got something to say? Sure, I do. Six. Six. Mm -hmm. The words of the prophet call the shrine back to its original inspiration, stripping it of empty, quote, 
sacralisms, unquote. You want a word? There it is. And, how about idolatry? All right, fine. And making it a seed which bears the fruit of faith and justice in time and space. Then, indeed, the shrine as the memory of our origin in the Lord becomes a continuous ring, ring, hello, call, sorry, I'm in church, I turned my phone off, to the love of God and to the sharing of gifts received. A visit to the shrine will show its effects above all in a commitment to charitable activities. Acts. In work for the advancement of human dignity and justice and peace. Values to which the peaceful, faithful, values to which the faithful will feel themselves called a new. I'm going to do a new thing. Who said that? Yeah. Give me one guess. All right, go take, please, all right, go just, end of Roman numerals one, which was what? Um, all right, seven was Thanksgiving, six was all in adoration, five was an initiative from, from above, and four was memory of God's work, the shrine and memory of origins, and we're at the end of that. Okay, great, thanks, bye. I just call. No. Ring, ring. Hello. I just call. I know what you did last summer. To say I love you. And then what? I just call. Uh, to say how much I care. I do. What's your cheap? I just call. To say. I love you, and I mean it from the bottom of my heart. You blind? Actually, yes. <laughs> no wonder. Stevie. Stevie Wonder. Stevie Wonder. I just call. Okay, that's enough. The shrine, Roman numerals number two, the shrine, a place of God's presence. Am I going to get it with a bow tie? No, presence. Well, actually, it is bow tie because he wrapped the apron around his waist when he, you know, last supper, wash feet. Going to get dirty. No? Yeah, okay. Bandage over your broken heart. Okay, good. Nine, a place of the covenant. The mystery of the shrine does not only call to mind our origin in the Lord. It also reminds us that once God has loved us, ugh, he never ceases to love us. In the specific moment of history in which we find ourselves today, faced with all the contradictions and the sufferings of the present, he is with us. I'm with you. Are you with me? I'm with you. Are you with me? I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. 
The Old and the New Testaments bear unanimous witness that the temple is not only a place with a saving past, the saving past is remembered, Memorare. but also one where grace is even now experienced. A shrine is a sign, you want a sign? Also a sign of God's presence, a place where men's covenant with the eternal one and with one another is constantly renewed. In journeying to the shrine, the pious Israelite discovered pilot light, uh-huh, discovered a new one, a new light, God's covenant. Fidelity to each is electric. Now you just push a button at the thing. You don't even have to play with matches and have it be a fire hazard. You just stick your money in the little slit and you push the button for the corresponding candle, which is electric light. What do you think of that? What do you think of that, people? I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm used. I know. I just. I love the original flickering flame. Can you blame me? I could stare at things forever, couldn't you? Anyways. It's always changing. I know, I don't know. Anyways, in journeying to the shrine, the pious Israelite discovered a new God's covenant fidelity to each day of history. As they gaze upon the Lord, a new temple whose living presence in the spirit is evoked by every church building. Christ's followers know that God is always living and present among them and for them. The temple is the holy dwelling of the forwards. Can you guess? AC, Ark of the Covenant. The place where the covenant with the living God, Archangels, is constantly renewed and the people of God become aware. That they are a community of believers. Don't make me play the song. A quote, chosen race. A chosen race. A kingdom of priests. A holy nation. One, Peter. Two, nine. As St. Paul reminds us, hey, you are no longer aliens eh? or foreign visitors. You are fellow citizens with the holy people of God and part of God's household. You are built upon the foundations of the apostles and the prophets. And Christ Jesus himself is the cornerstone. Every structure knit together in him grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And you, too, in him are being built up into a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. My drop. Ephesians 2 here for yourself, 19 to 22. 
by dwelling among his people and in their hearts. God himself makes them a living, makes them a living shrine. <laughs> a shrine built of dead stones. Evokes the one with capital O. The one who makes us a shrine of living stones. A shrine built of dead stones evokes the one who makes us a shrine of living stones. Okay, take a brown stone, make them into a living stone. Can you talk? Let me hear you. A shrine is a place of the spirit because it is a place where God's Fidelity reaches out and transforms us. Transformation. People go to a shrine first of all to call upon and to receive the Holy Spirit in order then to bring this spirit to all the activities of their lives. In this sense, a shrine appears as a constant reminder of the living presence of the Holy Spirit in the church, bestowed upon us by the risen Christ. Oh, I love the risen Christ being hung in the middle of the church today at Mass. Beautiful. John 20, 22. What's today's date? It is the day where the hour changed. The lady from Alaska, she's like, hello, what time is it? <laughs> she has a watch on, people. Beautiful opal face on the watch. Blinged out. Love it. Wearing a beautiful white jacket because she's, you know, from Alaska. I was like, she was like, I'm just saying, I wanted to see the Aurora Borealis for myself the moment I heard of it. That's all I know. Reminds me of something which I'm not going to talk about. What was I saying? Uh, God's. The shrine is a place of the spirit because it is a place where God's fidelity reaches out and transforms us. See, doesn't that look like a Aurora Borealis to you? People go to a shrine, first of all, to call upon and to receive the Holy Spirit in order then to bring the spirit to all the activities of their lives. In this sense, a shrine appears as a constant reminder of the living presence of the Holy Spirit in the church, bestowed upon us by the risen Christ to the glory of the Father. A shrine is a visible invitation to drink from the invisible spring of living water. That's what John said in 4.14. An invitation which can always be experienced anew in order to live in fidelity to the covenant with the eternal one in the church. Just like that beautiful waterfall baptismal thing inside the church today at Christ the King Church. Oh, that thing's a beautiful waterfall. It's constantly flowing. And when I stuck two fingers in it, I felt the electricity flow with my fingers. I blessed myself and I did it again. And, I, and every time I stuck my finger in there, I feel the zzz. I'm serious. Try it yourself. That's why I told the guy next to me because he was looking at me weird. And then he, hey, yay, afterwards he smiled. Hey, you try it? He felt it. Uh, I don't know if he, he didn't say nothing, but he was smiling, so. Ten, a place of the word. The expression, communion of saints. 
found in the section of the Creed, which describes the work of the Holy Spirit, can be seen as a rich evocation of one aspect of the mystery of the Church on her pilgrimage through history. Like yeah, today when I was walking through the church, I felt like I was visiting like a basilica or like a shrine or something. You know, I was just like taking it all in. You know, I felt I felt like I was on vacation for a little bit. You know, like on a pilgrimage. Yeah, I mean it is the first time I went to that church, and I was just trying to take it all in by little, little by little. Hey, I gotta prep myself, right? Prepare to go to a real shrine far, far away. But hey, one shrine's good as another. What's up? You start at one place. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Come on, termites. Let's go. By filling the members of Christ's body, the Holy Spirit. Okay, so we're going to be filled by this invisible Holy Spirit. By filling the members, like blowing up a balloon, and tying them together to make a balloon arch. Where do you see that? Oh, yeah, baby. Oh, yeah. By filling the members of Christ's body, the Holy Spirit makes the church the living temple of the Lord. Thank you for all the administrators of the church. Love them. My favorite. I finally found my Robin again. What's up? I got to go back and read my secret garden just for her. As the Second Vatican Council recalled. I'm still looking for my Mr. D there. We got two Dylans. Okay, great. I, I pray for Dylan and Dylan. The church has often been called the building of God. 1 Corinthians 3.9. This building has many names. The house of God in which his family dwells, the house of God in the spirit, Ephesians 2, 19 and 22, the dwelling place of God among men, Revelation 21, 3, and especially the holy temple. This temple, symbolized by places of worship built of stone, is praised by the holy fathers and not without reason, is compared to the liturgy to the holy city. Is compared in the liturgy to the holy city. There you go. Zion. The new Jerusalem. As living stones, we here on earth are being built up along with this city. With a capital C. 1 Peter 2 5. In this holy temple of the church, the Spirit acts, especially through the signs of the new covenant that shrines possess and make available. All of these is the Word of God. The shrine is the place of of the word with a capital W par excellence in which the spirit calls us ring, ring, hello to faith faith and brings about the communion of 
the faithful. Quote, communion of the faithful. You know, we get some. Unquote. It is extremely important that a shrine be associated with the persistent and receptive hearing. Hearing receptively. Are you receiving? Are you falling asleep? Okay, can I fall asleep and receive his word? Hey, I guess there is different degrees of reception. I mean, I did work for a lawyer for the FCC. Right, you gotta like. There's so many channels, people. You could just minute that. As it just, it just depends on the, the strength of your frequency, really. Hello. I pray for John Lee, my DJ next door, who made his own transmitter and was like transmitting his on his own radio frequency until he shut him down. Man, I miss that. I pray for John Lee and his family. And for the faithfully departed parents, I love y'all. God knows who you are. I pray for you. All my deceased neighbors. Yeah, so many. Ave Maria, Santa Maria. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus Tecum. Benedita tu in mulieribus. Et benedictus fructus ventria is tui. Jesus. Okay. The shrine in which the word of God resounds, which is no mere human word, but the living God himself present in his word. The shrine in which the word of God resounds is a place of covenant where God reminds his people of his faithfulness. The shrine in which the word of God resounds in order to shed light on their journey and to offer them consolation and strength. The shrine in which the word of God resounds. A shrine, it's like a bell, like a church bell. So see, man, altar boy, you did good today. A shrine can become an excellent place for deepening go deeper, one's faith in a special setting, right? There's like meditation, like areas, nice pebble, you know, for walking around the shrubs. And at a favorable time, hey, it's always open, no gates, apart from the ordinary, It can offer possibilities for a new evangelization. Help to foster a popular piety. I saw a lot of Divine Mercy pictures today from the Jerusalem can carve stuff that was in with like 12 pictures around it. That is, help to foster a popular piety that is rich in values. Quote, rich in values, unquote. <coughs> 24. 
bringing it to a more exact and mature consciousness of faith. Come in, 25. And it can facilitate the process of inculturation. Yeah, it's 311. Thank you. Each shrine needs to develop, quote, a suitable catechesis, unquote. All right, here's a shameless plug for, I started the room for Catechism of the Catholic Church. Should I continue? I felt like I read it so many times already, but I've never finished it, so I will try. Pray for me. Thank you. Which, quote, while it is to take into account the events that are celebrated in the places to be visited and their particular nature, should not overlook either the necessary hierarchy in expounding the truths of the faith or its proper place within the liturgical itinerary in which the whole church participates. Participation! Unquote. 28. In this pastoral service of evangelization and catechesis, emphasis should be placed on the specific aspects linked to the memory of each particular shrine, to its own particular message, to the charism entrusted to it by the Lord and recognized by the church, and to the heritage of traditions and customs, frequently very rich, that have taken root there. In the same ex content, in the same context of service to evangelization, cultural and artistic initiatives can be sponsored, such as congresses. Seriously, congresses. Can we congregate? Anybody? Anybody? Congregation! Seminars. Seminarians. Hello. Sign up. Sign up. Can we sign up? Line up. Line up. Exhibitions. Exhibit A. Reviews. Competitions. And gatherings. And together. Together. Religious themes. What do I say to a friend who says I oppose all religion? You know, what? whatever. Quote, in the past, our shrines were filled with religious mosaics, paintings, and sculptures to teach the faith. Should we have enough spiritual strength and genius to create moving images of great quality and adapt to the culture of today? It is a question not only of the first proclamation of the faith in a world that is often very secularized or of catechesis to deepen this faith, but it is a question of the inculturation of the gospel message at the level of each people, of each cultural tradition, unquote. 29. To this end, a shrine needs the presence of pastoral workers, capable of helping people to enter into dialogue with God 
and to contemplate、uh, the immense mystery that enfolds and attracts us. The significance of the ministry of the priests, significance, religious and communities in charge of shrines must be stressed. Thirty, and consequently, the urgent need for them to receive proper training for the service they are called to provide. At the same time, encouragement should be given to lay people. Trained to carry out the work of catechesis and evangelization associated with the life of the shrine. In this way, shrines too will express the wealth of charisms and ministries that the Holy Spirit awakens in the Lord's Church, and pilgrims will benefit from the varied witness given by the different pastoral workers.、Yeah! Living witness has anyone, anyone. I am too excited. I am too excited. End of number ten. A place of the word. <laughs> okay, so I was visiting the church today, and they had some lovely pamphlets for free. The first one that caught my attention with this beautiful artwork, entitled Fratelli. Tutti, fratelli, tutti. On fraternity and social friendship, has a picture of I'm not sure what saint yet, and he's、uh, looks like a Saint Francis to me, a Franciscan monk with his rosary and, and I'm sorry, his beads and his rope, not rope. And prayer rope, and he has a wound in both hands, and a spear through his chest, spear wound. And as he's blessing us with his right two fingers, he is staring at his left hand, which is holding a crucifix of the crucified Christ, and he's staring at Christ. Yeah, okay. And he's under this arch. Surrounded by stars. I want to find this picture. It's pretty cool. Okay. We open it and we see a lovely profile picture of Saint Amelia, Pope Francis, and his lovely smile. I pray. I pray for Pope Francis. Here I pray. It is my desire that. In this our time, by acknowledging the dignity of each human person, we can contribute to the rebirth of a universal aspiration to fraternity. Unquote. A quote from number eight, Fratelli Tutti. Francis, having taken this pontifical name from one of the patron saints of peace, Saint Francis of Assisi,、ah, I got it, has spoken often on fraternal love, world peace, and social justice. 
particularly in his frequent travels around the world, with the above line pulled from the introduction, he summarizes the primary goal of his new encyclical, Fratelli Tutti, which focuses on fraternity and social friendship. <laughs> We do need this like right. This particular encyclical quotes widely from the Pope's previous messages. Organizing several years of teaching on this issues, on these issues, it is divided into eight chapters that present the current challenges and obstacles to fraternity in the human community and lay out a hopeful vision hopeful vision for the future what follows in this pamphlet is a brief outline of major themes so we don't have to read the whole thing but we can if you want to introduction pope francis leads off by sharing how saint francis inspired both the title and content of the encyclical, particularly in the ways in which he taught, quote, a fraternal openness that allows us to acknowledge, appreciate, and love each other, each person, regardless of physical proximity, Well, ain't that interesting? Regardless of where he or she is born, was born, sorry, was born or lives. Thank you. I like the sound of that. That's a footnote from I don't know where. Okay, great. Oh, number one, not if it knows, sorry, number parentheses, number one. He cites the saint's cordial visit with Sultan Malik al-Kamil in Egypt as an example of the way in which Christians today might spread the love of God in the larger world community. The Pope states that he was inspired and encouraged by his own dialogue with Orthodox Patriarch Bartholomew and Grand Imam Ahmed al-Tayeb, adding that the present encyclical, quote, takes up and develops, unquote, some of the themes they have agreed are important. Six. In this spirit, he extends the encyclical, quote, as an invitation to dialogue among all people of good will, unquote. Parenthesis number six. End of introduction. Chapter one. Dark 
clouds over a closed world. Unquote. In the first chapter, Pope Francis lists a number of quote trends in our world that hinder the development of universal fraternity. Unquote. Parentheses number nine. One challenge is the recent resurgence of both local and international conflicts, which is often fueled by growing nationalism. After an earlier period of greater peace and progress, Pope Francis laments the loss of the historical perspective that, at least temporarily, helped us learn lessons from the conflicts of the past. Another negative trend is the failure to build societies that include everyone and respect human dignity, resulting in a, quote, throwing away, end quote, in a throwaway world in which even human beings are seen ex as expendable commodities. Additional challenges include increased globalization, quote, without a shared roadmap, unquote, leaving many individuals and peoples behind. The inhumane treatment of migrants and obstacles to genuine communication and relationship posed by certain trends in me digital media and the loss of authentic encounter. In the midst of these and other troubling trends, Pope Francis contends the COVID-19 pandemic exposed our fragility and our need to work together as one human family. Oh. End of chapter one. Dark clouds over a closed world. Chapter two, a stranger on the road. Here, Pope Francis turns his attention to Jesus's parable of the Good Samaritan and the lessons it teaches us about how we should love our neighbor. He also cites the stories of Job, of Cain and Abel, and other key scriptural passages on fraternal love from both the Old and New Testaments. Coming back to the Gospel story, he draws a connection between those who pass by the Good Samaritan and modern society's tendency to look away from or pass over those who are in need 
or suffering. Quote, all of us have a responsibility for the wounded. Pope Francis writes, those of our own people and the all and all the peoples of the of the earth. Seventy-nine parentheses. And now we see a lovely picture of a good Samaritan dressed in yellow with a belt of black and a square buckle of silver with a strap around his shoulders in a ready position as he hovers and carries a wounded man with a towel-like thing. And he's bandaging him up. Well, bandages. As this poor man, and putting ointment of oil on him. Is, as this man is laying over his coat, cape. And this man looks Arabic and Muslim. Dark-skinned, sharp nose, sharp chin, double chin, with even seen through his beard and mustache. And he has black hair that glistens in the sun and a tur not turban, but just, you know, something wrapped around his, his head, you know, like, you know, you would do to help with sunny days. Okay, great. Chapter three. Envisaging and engendering an open world. This chapter begins with an admonition that we must give of ourselves in order to be fully human. And this gift of self, Pope Francis explains, should extend not just to those in our immediate family or group, but to the larger world. Moral virtues are only rightly directed he contends, to the extent that they foster openness toward and union with others. Paragraph, I'm sorry, parentheses, 91. True charity means seeking the good of the other. This is true not only for individuals, but for societies, which should include and integrate everyone particularly people at the peripheries. All people have equal dignity and are entitled to certain basic rights and freedoms regardless of where they are born. Safeguarding this dignity will require a, quote, new network of international relations, unquote, in which nations work together to meet the basic needs of all. Parentheses one, two, six. End of chapter three. Envisaging and engendering an open world.
paragraph, I'm sorry, chapter four. Quote, an open heart. Sorry? A heart open to the whole world. Following the more general principles discussed in previous chapters, the fourth chapter of Fratelli Tutti turns to the concrete steps required for realizing a fraternity that includes everyone. The Pope addresses the issue of migration, with the first priority being to reduce the necessity of migration by working together to ensure that all people have the conditions necessary for dignity and human development in their own countries. Where migration is necessary, countries should provide clear and practical steps to welcome refugees, welcome refugees and migrants and integrate them into society. Parentheses 130. The need for global collaboration is discussed both for addressing the causes of migration and safeguarding the dignity of migrants. Pope Francis points out that migrants bring the gifts of different perspectives and cultures that can enrich society. If they are welcomed and encouraged. And they should be allowed to maintain their cultural identity even as they, quote, develop in new ways, unquote. Parentheses 134. He cautions against a utilitarian perspective mm -hmm. that values people only for what they can contribute and instead encourages a, quote, fraternal gratuitousness, unquote, that welcomes the stranger even if there is no obvious tangible benefit to doing so. Eh. Parentheses one three nine. <coughs> we also need to value both the local and the global valuing and protecting one's home and culture while still working together as a world community with the understanding that we are one human family. Period. And look, I'm flipping the page and I'm seeing a beautiful picture. That reminds me of Stuart. Stuart, I'm so praying for you with your white beard, with your wrinkles, you Jew who loves not being a Jew. 
I love locks, okay? Is that good enough? Whatever. I miss my locks on Holland. Oh. Chapter 5. Right? And there's all these other beautiful faces. How many are there? Seven. Good enough. One that looks Arabic. One Ukrainian. One Russian. Germany. One that looks Iranian lady. Mixed with. Okay, quote, a better kind of politics, unquote. Quote, the development of a global community of fraternity based on the practice of social friendship on the part of peoples and nations. Pope Francis says, calls for a better kind of politics, one truly at the service of common good. Parentheses 154. This section goes on to expose the limitations of both populism and liberalism. When they fail to protect the vulnerable, in terms of international relations, multilateral rather than bilateral. Agreements between states are recommended in order to better promote the common good and protect weaker states. Parentheses 174. However, subsidiarity, the principle of handling political issues at the most local level possible is also emphasized as a way to guard against the shortcomings of the state and avoid the negative effects of globalization. All right, guys.